0: Welcome to Key Exchanges in the 901 Podcast. It's the podcast where we share the real stories of the real estate community here in Memphis. These are the stories that help every key change hands, the stories that are shaping the real estate market in our city. I'm Dane Williams, your key connection for home insurance, and I'll be your host today. And we're recording today's show in our studios powered by the Jason Woods Home Loan Team and Sophie sandlin Reigns, both amazing loan officers with Community Mortgage. We have a good one for you today as well. We're working our way back into rhythm as we move into the second season, and this feels like the week where we really hit our stride. In my second segment, I will have two of my f- absolute favorites back from season one, and that's going to be Anna Bishop and Tyler Tapley, both from Crylike. And we're going to be discussing how to navigate some of the challenges that can arise when you're working with either a difficult seller or a difficult listing, and you won't want to miss that conversation. But before I introduce our first guest, I want to take a moment to share a little bit about one of our featured partners today. Ruby Red Media is one of our featured partners this week on key exchanges in the 901. Did you know that 82% of all consumer internet traffic is made up of online videos? More than 83% of internet users in the U.S. access digital video content this year, and viewers retain 95% of a message when they watch it in video form, compared to 10% when just reading the text. All that said, if you're not utilizing video as a way to sell your real estate business, then you're missing the mark. Once you've settled on that, then the only choice to make is to call John Arroyo with Ruby Red Media. Whether it's branding videos or micro content for social media or cinematic walkthroughs and photos for your next listing, there's no one better than John and his team at Ruby Red Media. A lot of you may have seen some of my earlier videos that I personally made when I was getting started in the real estate industry back in the day, but when it came time for me to partner with a video pro to make content for the podcast, there's no other option to consider other than Ruby Red Media. I know there's someone out there thinking I'd look ridiculous on video. I hate the sound of my voice. I don't even know what I'd say. And I can tell you from firsthand experience and the testimonials of countless others that the team at Ruby Red will make the entire experience comfortable and enjoyable. And they're going to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward in your next video project. When we know the industry is heading a direction now, you can make that decision today to get out ahead of it and be one of the ones leading or be left playing catch up to your competitors down the road. If you'd like to check out some of their work, head to Instagram and search for at John Ruby Red Media. That's John, J-O-H-N, Ruby Red Media. Or you can go to their website at rubyredmedia.com. And if you're ready to start the ball rolling, you can email him directly at john at rubyredmedia.com and start the conversation. Ruby Red Media does phenomenal work. And they are someone that I'm incredibly proud to have as a featured partner on key exchanges in the 901. My first guest, well, this first guest has one of the more impressive reputations in the entire Memphis real estate community. He is a lifelong Memphian, aside from a a brief sabbatical where he was gone for college, but he thoroughly enjoys being an ambassador for the city he loves so much and getting to share some of the amazing parts with people that haven't yet experienced it. He has 11 years in the business and he is a broker and co-owner of one of the hottest new brokerages in the entire city in Ware Jones Realtors. He is the husband to Elizabeth, the dad to Bennett in court. He is a remarkable human being and someone that I'm fired up to talk to today. Without any further ado, it is my profound honor and great privilege to welcome Mr. Worth Jones onto Key Exchanges in the 901. Thanks for coming on the show, Worth. Thanks, Dane. It's great to be here. And Thanks I, for
1: having me. I am
0: excited to be here, but I, you know, I start every interview off the same way. I got to figure out how the heck did we get here? So I need you to hop in the Wayback Machine with me. We're going 11 years ago. I'm going to figure <laughs> out how did you get in real estate?
1: Oh man, um, kind of a wild ride, you know. Um, I graduated from college, moved back to Memphis. Was very eager to come back. Worked in institutional bond sales for about five years. Um, left that. Ran a nonprofit for a couple of years. Um, kind of the tail end of that. My father was uh, uh, had a stroke, and so I left that. Helped him in his business, which is a kind of a niche recycling business, and. And the Great Recession wiped his company out, unfortunately, and so um, I was unemployed for about a year and a half, and really did a lot of soul searching during that time. Uh, also, during that time, my sister was um, uh, battling cancer, and mm. uh, just a lot of things were happening, and um, you know, just was praying, like, you know, what am I? What I What am I supposed to be doing? And I remembered. Um, having a lot of conversations with people who were wanting to help me, but they always had the same question. And the question was, well, you know, what do you want to do? Um, and, I didn't know I didn't really have an answer. And, um, so during that time, I, kind of found out about a business that was for sale. I've got some investors together and we were going to buy this business and I was very excited about it. And it uh, kind of fell through at the ninth hour. And um, I decided, you know, what about that business got me really excited? You know, what what were some things that I was really looking forward to? And just from a 30,000 foot perspective, I started kind of writing down and journaling some of the things that I saw. Um, and real estate had been a kind of a hobby of mine. And so, um, left through a lot of prayer and a lot of, uh, just thinking about these things, uh, led me to real estate. And, uh, I remember calling Robert Taylor, who was a great friend mentor of mine when I was younger his son was a good friend growing up and I uh, called Robert and he's since passed away but but uh just a icon in the Memphis real estate community and uh, asked Robert you know what do you what do you think and and um he said you know it's a pretty tough time to be in real estate but this if was 2011 yeah this was 2010 okay so he said, it's, you know, a pretty tough time, but um, I'll be happy to, you know, get you an uh, interview with Joel here at Hobson. That's where uh, Robert was. And and so I met with Joel and um, got my license and got started.
0: Yeah. And May, of,
1: May of 2011.
0: Things yeah. have gone pretty well for you, it seems like, with the uh, the buying and selling since then. Career seems to be going well, and uh, things, things going really well. Um, I know, you know, people talk about it you know, Worth loves the city, just the, the way Memphis is and the grit and the soul and all these things. Uh, what was uh, what was life like growing up for you that kind of shaped you into this person that has such love for the city?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I do love the city. I think the city right now in 2022 has so much positive things happening, so much life and energy. I just, to me, and, and I've been a lifelong Memphian with the four-year college sabbatical, but I think this city is really just in the best spot that I can recall. But my life growing up in the city was a little bit different. Um, we I grew up in a late 1800s farmhouse in East Memphis, uh, parents divorced when I was young. Um, there was a... a when my parents bought this house. I think I was about one, one year old, and there was a gentleman who lived in the like this back house behind ours. Who who you know we sort of inherited with the property, and it was just kind of a fun and different way to grow up. I mean, I think my childhood on Cherry Road was a little bit different than than a lot of uh, a lot of people. It was a different experience. Um, But I loved that house and um, had just incredible memories there. And then we moved into a a town home um, and that we were there until I graduated from college and moved away. And then my mom, after high school graduation, moved back to her hometown of Columbus, Mississippi. And uh, so it was kind of weird coming back to Memphis in college because I didn't really have a a place to land, you know, yeah. I kind of would, uh, bunk in with some friends and grew up with a lot of really close, good friends and their parents were mentors of mine. And, and, uh, so I always had a place to, to come home to the city, but Memphis has always been home for me and certainly where I was very excited to move back to, you know, after, after graduating college. So it's a little bit different growing up in the city. Um, just with, with a lot of different dynamics there attached to that house. But a lot of fun. It was, uh, really, it was a really good childhood. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's been fairly prevalent over the last few years has been the rise of so many just locally founded brokerages that are really making waves in our industry. Uh, with the, the volume of production that's being put up by some of these new shops is, is incredibly impressive. I can't talk about impressive new brokerages without mentioning your firm, Where Jones. You guys are killing it. Uh, and, and, uh, you founded it with your friend, your partner, William Ware within the last year ish, right?
1: Yeah. So we started Mm -hmm. Ware Jones officially in December of 2021. So really just about five months.
0: Really? What was it that, uh, made you guys say, Hey, this is something we want to do.
1: I come from a long line of small business owners. My, uh, grandfathers on both sides had businesses. My father had a business, and I knew at one point I would kind of want to want to do this. And um, William and I started talking last fall um, just about, you know, what, what a company would look like if we were ever to do it, and we just kind of started dreaming, and then we, we kind of decided to make a go of it, you know, so...
0: Uh, You know, I I found it incredibly impressive the way that you guys have presented yourself and your brokerage from day one. Uh, I mean, the name, the logo on point from the second I found out you existed and colors and branding, everything looks great. And the roster of agents that you have is just littered with rock stars. Um, it, It is so, so impressive. How much prep, how much energy went into kind of being ready for day one? Is it something where you guys are wired to be just hyper prepared or just kind of fall into place?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the the logo and the branding and sort of our PR, um, uh, it was really kind of fun for William and I to to talk about this. It was neat for us, you know. We we we. Basically hired our friends, <laughs> you know. He had a really close relationship at Harvest Creative. I had a really close relationship at Sullivan Branding. Uh, Brian Sullivan is a very good friend, and um, and so it was really, really neat. And we have kind of been intentional just about um, uh, working with friendships. I mean, you know, kind of. One thing that I've sort of discovered in this process is that when you're hiring a company, I mean, when you're starting a company, you get the opportunity to um, kind of lean on some really close relationships that maybe you wouldn't be able to otherwise. And so mm-hmm. Harvest Creative um, just knocked it out of the park with the logo and the color scheme and the and the branding. Um, William and I's favorite color is green, so that was kind of a natural fit, but what there are a lot, there are lots of shades of green out there, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, So, so they they were instrumental in kind of uh, doing that. Um, naming the company was pretty interesting. We had a lot of discussions about that. Um,
0: was it wasn't just your names from day one,
1: you no, some other things? It was not our names from day one, and that was a uh, that was kind of neat, you know. William and I. Um, uh, he, I tell him all the time. He's like the best partner I could ever ask for. Um, we have a lot of uh, not only common interests but a lot of synergy too. And um, both, both he and I wanted. We were really thinking about naming the company something that uh, would be bigger than ourselves. We didn't really want us to be the focus. You know, we we really didn't want he and I to be the sort of the centerpiece for the company. We really want the agents to be the centerpiece. And so we we thought about just kind of doing some something different with with the company name, but it, we kind of circled back. We, we really kind of came full circle through that whole process. Naming a company is really important, of course. So uh, we discovered that, you know, home is so personal um, it, and home is so unique and, you um, naming the company after our last names, we felt like was the most sort of uh, personal aspect yeah. um, of sort of what we could call the company. So um, that's what we really wanted to kind of convey.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's no perfect way to structure a new brokerage. I've had past guests like Fair Captain and Greg Renfro, Jeff Howard, they opted to not have partners and then brokerages like the firm where they have several partners yeah. adding another person in can obviously bring skills that maybe you don't have, but it also can potentially bring headaches as well. Why did you guys decide that a partnership made the most sense for where
1: Jones? Well, I, I, uh, I don't think that we had, um you know, a whole lot of uh discussion about it. I mean, um William and I, um, uh, William got his broker's license first, and I remember, you know, asking him sort of what he was thinking about doing, and and uh, and then I asked him if he would be willing to partner, and he was kind of surprised by that question, but, um, uh, you know, we, we decided it was a good business decision for both of us, and, you know, he's, he has a uh, a daughter who's just turned one, and I've got two boys who are, you know, one's about to be in ninth grade, one's about to be in 10th, and we both knew that the company was going to require a tremendous amount of time, effort, and energy, and it would be a whole lot more fun and and better for both of us to, uh, to be in a partnership, so... I think it was more of trying to find work life balance mm-hmm. um, than anything else. But it was also um, it was also that, you know, both he and I sort of looked at each other and we were like, Holly, we have a lot of the same goals, a lot of the same energy, a lot of the same sort of synergy around ideas, sort of what we wanted the company to look like, what we wanted the company to be, what we wanted the company to focus on, uh, what we wanted to provide um, agents, uh, who are in the, in the company. And so it was more like, how, ah, what, you know, why not partner partner? It was, it was uh, yeah. there's of no reason of, not to. It yeah, made too much sense. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: But I, I know we talked about your path to real estate and this journey it took to get here. When we think about some of the stops you've had along the way. It's pretty unique. I mean, you, you spent five years in institutional bond sales, incredibly right. competitive. <laughs> right, uh, you. Right went the complete other direction with your nonprofit work and, right. uh, not nearly as dog eat dog there, but still, uh, meaningful work, What you're doing in North Memphis. And, and, you know, you even have a stretch where you're home with the kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. how do you feel like each of those stops kind of prepared you to be a successful agent? Cause I would imagine everything you probably added a little bit from somewhere along the way, right?
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. And, um, I was actually, uh, a friend of mine gave a little talk this morning. Uh, it was, uh, really good. But his point was that the season of life that you're in is preparing you for the next season. And I, and that question, um, kind of looking back and sort of seeing the progression or, um, seeing, you know, what aspects of life have contributed to the next are, you know, certainly there. Um, I mean, the bond business, um, the bond business was my first sort of career, out of college, a lot of it was trying to figure out who I am and what I want, and um, sort of where the where the Lord would have me be. And I think that um, uh, the bond business ultimately for me just wasn't wasn't a, a, a fit. Um, I remember, you know, transferring my business from one company to another, and um, that was a a good transition in terms of environment, but. Um, lost some accounts and so I kind of had to reinvent my business and then a couple strange things happened and I felt like well it's either time to completely rebuild or try something else and I remember at that time I um, was attending Amen Bible Study at Second Presbyterian Church and I remember Sandy Wilson talking about you know the importance of being able to invest in the city and how important the city is and giving back to the city and I thought, well, golly, my all of my life is spent with people that I never see and mm-hmm. will never see socially, or you know, just work relationships who aren't in Memphis. And I really wanted to be about Memphis and supporting Memphis. Um, so that kind of was the transition to uh, for the Kingdom Camp and and uh, the Raleigh Millington area of the city. Um, leaving that was strictly to help out Dad, and then the. Uh, uh, the business cycle there was interesting. You know, I learned a whole lot. That, you know, ultimately found myself, you know, stay-at-home dad. Uh, Elizabeth was working to support the family uh, in using her nursing um, background. But I would never trade that time either. I mean, I, you know, being at home with the boys was was tough, but uh, it was really, really sweet time too. And certainly you can't get that back. So, you know, every sort of stop along the way that brought me here has had its lessons. It's, its you know, it's life pieces in it that certainly were, I think, preparing me um, for something. And then I think, you know, probably the base of all of that was when I, you know, decided that residential real estate was going to you know, be, you know, where I should be or what I wanted to be too. But, you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't matter as much anymore. Like I just, I got into the business, not really caring so much about how successful I was going to be. It was more like, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to ride this out, you know, whether it's, you know, great or not. Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense.
0: No, that's good, man. I know we've heard you talk about one of the favorite things you get to do as a realtor is being an ambassador for the city. Uh, practically speaking, what does that look like in your life and business?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the favorite things I get to do is is introduce new people to the city of Memphis, and, and it's um, it's a lot of fun. I uh, really enjoy it. Um, work with several companies who are recruiting people to Memphis, and it's such a... It's such an honor to uh, get to meet someone who has never really been exposed to the city. You know, they, they, someone told me I was taking them around the city just a couple weeks ago, and they said, "You know, Worth, if you Google Memphis, it's not all that great." And I said, "Well, <laughs> hold on a second. I, I haven't I haven't Googled Memphis personally in a long time. I have no idea what Google says about Memphis, but this is what Memphis is." And so you're driving around, you know, you're driving around the city and you're showing them Harbortown, and you're showing them downtown and the Forum and Bill Street and Orpheum and South Bluffs and um, South Main District and the, uh, you know, all the cool restaurants, the National Civil Rights Museum, which is a huge treasure for the city. And then you get into Midtown and you're showing them Central Gardens and uh, Hadaloo Theater and uh, you're showing them. Uh, you know all of the art that we have here that's incredible, and then you're showing them the Levitt Shell and the Zoo and the Brooks, and you get into East Memphis and you're showing them all these awesome neighborhoods and these you know different parts of the city which are so impressive, and you know I mean just the whole city. And what I what I try to stress to people is that Memphis is so diverse. There's there there is a place for everyone to fit in Memphis. Mm. And I think that's really unique. Um, And, uh, you know, usually when people are driving around with me, we're in the car for probably three or four hours. And every time they are blown away by what they see and they're they They usually say, I can't believe how big the city is. I can't believe how green it is. I can't believe how pretty it is. I can't believe the architecture. I can't believe all that's going on here. I had no idea. Yeah. So that's always a lot of fun.
0: you just get open people's eyes to that. I think that's, that's, that's an awesome thing for yeah. sure.
1: You and I had an interesting discussion earlier, just a probably a
0: blind spot for me in my world of insurance. And I, maybe I didn't realize, it, right. But, one of the things we've always done for our referral partners is whenever there's a new home purchase that's going on and we get looped in on it, if there's been claims within the past handful of years, we're going to find that in our process and say, hey, you know, just so you know, you may want to ask about this water thing that's happening. Uh, you're saying that uh, I guess agents don't frequently get that information from the insurance agents that they're uh, referring. Is that a true statement?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. You know, I mean, I think the report that you're referring to is uh what is the what is the clue name? Report. The clue report. The clue report. Yeah. yeah, so the you know, that was just something I found out a few years ago, really. really? So, um yeah, it's I would love to see that <laughs> love to see that more. Yeah, well, it's
0: it's uh it's not something that's incredibly, you know, sexy to look at, but it's something where as as an insurance agent that's, you know, invested in your partners and just making sure that hey, this is something where even if this is a concerning thing is we're buying this, we'd rather know about it because we may need to go buy another house. And right. It's uh, right. For some insurance people, it's it's tough to see past that sale. But for us, we want to make sure that we are being a good partner and, and yeah. investing in that relationship because if it doesn't work out with this one, you know, it's good for the homeowner to, to not have to deal with that. And instead we can move yeah. on to the next thing and, and still be there for the next referral. So right. Right. For sure. I want to change gears there a bit. I know we've talked about uh, your business a good bit, Talk about you as a person. Uh, yeah. Any uh, any interesting side jobs or, or uh, past jobs that you've had, side hustles along the way? Uh,
1: the uh, the my favorite past job, I was a summer camp counselor at Camp Seagull, and I was a sailing counselor, and that was all. I loved to sail. Love to sail. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And that was a, that was a blast. I got to teach the older kids lightning training, so so they you know at this camp you kind of graduate to the lightning sailboat which is a racing sailboat with a main and a jib and and uh it's kind of like the top gun of uh the sailing camp and it was that's kind of fun to be the instructor there yeah. so
0: significantly softer than top gun but i do understand yeah, 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 your point yeah, yeah. Okay? Right, okay. Right, okay. Right, okay. okay it's uh that it, it seems like a good time and an interesting thing that i don't know anybody that does sailing so that's uh a unique thing to have had in your past.
1: Not a lot of sailors in Memphis, but no. there is a sailing club that, you know, they, they sail on Arkabutla Lake, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, I love sailing. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome.
0: Uh, when you're not selling real estate, any, uh, any interesting hobbies or skills?
1: You know, when I'm not, when I'm, when I'm not working, I'm trying to be with my family. That's, that's really the, that's really where it, uh, where, where it is for me. And we're, you know, we love the lake, but we love the outdoors. Uh, both of my boys are involved in boy scouts and i love being an adult leader there with their troop and spend a lot of time there
0: yeah that's cool
1: most awkward thing that happens to you on a regular basis i don't know if i'm being honked at but there's a lot of honking on the road going on around me so <laughs> I, I don't know if it's me i hope it's not i always you know whenever i hear someone honking i'm like looking around saying oh what have i done but i don't know it, it happens more than i'd like for it to and <laughs> so
0: i i, I don't. I don't imagine Memphis has a very noisy town with the honking. Right. I'm, I'm thinking this may be a you thing, man. <laughs> <that's>, uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. If Elizabeth's in the car, it's definitely you know, something I've done, I'm sure. So. That's, uh, so,
0: that's so funny. Uh, what's a favorite trip that you've taken or one that you're still hoping to take?
1: Uh, so last summer, I took my older son to Philmont Scout Ranch. And we uh, it's a Boy Scout uh, ranch in New Mexico. We backpack for, I don't know, about uh, 100 miles. And I'm taking... Bennett, my younger son, back this summer. So really that's looking cool. forward to that. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, weirdest thing that's happened to you in real estate? Uh, so this was probably like early on, but I remember, um, you know, er, sort of early on in my career, I was, you know, very eager to host open houses. Um, I would host open houses for other agents, just kind of, I think activity begets activity. And so I was trying to stay busy, do a lot of open houses. And I remember showing up to this open house, you know, a little bit early, trying to get it ready, you know, and uh, there's a dead chipmunk on the front front porch. Oh, no. And uh, I was like, oh, my gosh. So it had been there for a while, and I had to, like, quickly figure out what to do <laughs> before all these people showed up. That's a whole thing there. <laughs> that's so funny.
0: Uh, favorite Memphis date night restaurant?
1: Acre. Lo- I love Acre. Really? Yeah. It's been around Acre.
0: long enough to where it's like it's not the newest sexiest thing but like right. it's just
1: good like, uh, it's so good i mean that uh, the atmosphere i don't know it's just to me it's so unique and um it's just a it's a great it's a great spot
0: yeah for sure uh favorite concert you've attended
1: cool in the gang <laughs> really? my first concert i love cool in the gang i'll uh, never forget it i was nine years old mom took me down to mud island amphitheater with my friend michael shetley and uh, they they put on a great show it was awesome
0: that's awesome what's your what's your favorite Memphis event to attend?
1: I uh, love love it shell. Um, I love the f- I love it. it's free and it's outside and it's just always a diverse group of folks. Um, it's a great atmosphere uh, tons of fun. love yeah, love the shell that's, that's great. Uh, weirdest thing you've ever eaten Green eggs and ham. I still remember it. I think it was like, kindergarten or first grade, you know, uh, it was horrible (laughs) (laughs) and weird.
0: Yeah. But last question, if people want to get in touch with you, to discuss buying or selling property or learning more about where Jones realtors, how can they do that?
1: Yeah. They can call me. My cell phone number is 901-289-1890 or text that number uh, or email worth at wherejones.com. Yeah.
0: And we'll make sure we've got his contact information in the show notes for this episode.
1: I appreciate your time. I
0: appreciate you coming on the show, man. Yeah. Thank you, Dane. It's a pleasure. But guys, we're not done just yet. Up next, you won't want to miss our conversation with Tyler Tapley and Anna Bishop on navigating the challenges that come with difficult listings and difficult sellers. You're listening to Key Exchanges in the 901. Key Exchanges in the 901 is powered by partnerships with exceptional businesses in our city. Businesses that invest and give back to the Memphis real estate community. One of this week's featured partners is Big League Movers. There's no denying the fact that, well, moving sucks. Okay. Big League Movers is here to help make that process a little easier on you and your clients as they're transitioning to their next home. The professional movers at Big League can make sure that the next move is not only fast and efficient, but also they're striving every single day to remove any of the moving headaches that can just show up on the day you're trying to transition to that next house. The team at Big League can customize a moving plan that meets the needs of your clients by offering them a variety of services, from packing and transportation to loading and unloading, furniture assembly and disassembly, and even storage. They can do all of this for your clients as they're moving across town or across the country. If you or your clients would like to hit a home run, be sure to check out their website at bigleaguemovers.com or call their office at 901-446-3471. You can add your name to the list of hundreds that have left them five-star Google reviews when you cross home plate after using Big League Movers. Big League Movers is an awesome moving company and someone that I'm proud to have as a featured partner on key exchanges in the 901. And we are back, back in the studio where we are powered by the Jason Woods Home Loan Team and Sophie sandlin Reigns, both of them amazing, uh, amazing loan officers with Community Mortgage. And uh, in our next segment, I'm going to be joined by two of the very best agents in our entire city. Okay? They have proven to be top performers at the largest brokerage in the city and are two of my favorite guests from season one. We will be discussing how to navigate challenges that come with difficult listing, difficult sellers, just difficult circumstances that you may run into uh, as a listing agent. And uh, they are two of the best to talk about. So uh, without any further ado, it is my profound honor and great privilege to welcome back onto Key Exchanges in the 901, Miss Anna Bishop from Cry like Arlington and Mr. Tyler Tapley from Cry like Quail Hollow. Thank you both for coming back on the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Dane.
0: Thank you, Dane. Good to be here. Yeah. If you'd like to know more about either of their stories, because we're not going to get into too much of their life now, you can go back and you can catch Anna on episode 45 and Tyler was on episode 28 from season one. So uh, appreciate them coming back. You guys are both incredibly accomplished, incredibly respected agents in our city. Uh, I wanted to have you guys both on because you've got a good range of properties that you guys are working in. You can have um, smaller investment properties to million dollar mansions and everything in between. So I feel like you guys have seen a little bit of everything and you got a decent handle on how to navigate some of these situations. So um, I'll start with you, Anna. I mean, I I would imagine over the years of being in the business, various market conditions, you've likely been forced to deal with some sellers that are maybe more difficult than others. Um, What are some of the things that you've seen in your career that uh, I guess kind of indicate like, oh, hey, now I realize you're you're that one, right?
2: Um, you know, I try to ask, um, I try to help anyone who asks me to help them. So if someone calls and they want me to list their property or, or look at their property and help them sell it, I'm going to do my best to help them. But sometimes it's just not a good fit. Um you know, and and usually Tyler and I were talking about this before we started. You can just tell it's kind of a vibe you get when you start. I mean, that that would come from um, just maybe a know-it-all. I don't know a better words sure. than that. But um, if if you want, you know, if someone's calling me to help them, it's because they seek my expertise and. Um, pricing always is an issue. Um, How much is your commission is a red flag. If that's one of the first questions out of their mouth, because you know, they're shopping for, um, you know, discounts. Um, um, Or if I make recommendations or suggestions and they're completely not open to it, that's always a red flag for me. You just know you're going to tumble to the finish line. Everybody's going to be mad at the end. um, And it's not going to be a, stellar finish which is what my goal is is to over deliver and um so i would say um some some things that make me know that right off the bat are just it's a feel
0: yeah Um, just kind of get a gut feeling about it tyler do you have anything that jumps out at you whenever you're like hey this this is not maybe the best
3: fit for me so absolutely the listing consultation is really an interview for both parties it's for us as agents and it's us listening to what the seller has to say, what their timing is, what their motivation is. I've been to least listing presentations where only one spouse would want to meet and the other one was working upstairs and wouldn't come say hello. And a lot of times you could just tell they're kind of going through the motions. Maybe they have their agent already picked out. Maybe they're just trying to get some free information. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think most, most sellers aren't, "Quote unquote difficult." Uh, Anna is correct. You you can just tell it is a vibe. That's a perfect word for it. You when they don't care to listen to you, listen to the process, or you know your sales method, and they just want to know what is you know what is the commission. You can just tell they're not. It's probably not going to be the right fit. And if it's not the right fit, it just doesn't make sense to take it on
0: yeah well Tyler following up on that I mean sometimes it's not necessarily the seller they may have a heart of gold here but sometimes it's a listing itself Um, what are some of the things that you say hey red flag on this house there's something goofy here and this is going to be a pain in my neck trying to sell this thing
3: so that is the most likely outcome typically the sellers are understanding they may have had uh, a physical issue maybe they've been sick or injured and they just can't maintain the house and that's when you really feel for them because they want to do right they're they're ethical and they're reasonable. They just, maybe they don't have the money to do it. Uh, I think the first thing is you listen to them. We look at, we obviously look at the house, we go there, we're looking, does it have rotted wood? Does it have cracked windows? Um, does it smell? Things, yes, odor is a big deal. And that's something we can fix. That's the wonderful thing. Some of these things you can fix.
0: Um, what does fix odor look like? How, how, do, how do we do that? I've got little kids that are not the best at like you know potty training and whatnot.
3: Febreze, so. Febreze removing uh, carpet okay. is a wonderful thing, uh, and that goes back. And I know Anna would agree with that goes back to feedback and listening to agents, and you know when you list a house, listening to what they're saying needs to be fixed or addressed.
2: Mm-hmm. So, but, and there are companies that do that. Yeah, motor <laughs> removal for especially for cats and smoke. Okay. That, that's that's good to know.
0: I don't have cats or
2: smoke. Though,
0: so it's just you know, crushed up goldfish in my carpet and everything else. So um, Anna, you, you guys, obviously you sell a ton of houses, you do great work. And at this stage of the game, I, I would imagine there are probably some circumstances that you encounter with a seller or potential seller that you have to make a decision to where this just isn't a deal I want to work with for one reason or another. What What's that look like whenever you start to um, have that moment and kind of what triggers you to say, I can't do this?
2: Um, I always ask my sellers during the interview process, you know, what's important to you in an agent? What is it, if you hire me, what is it that, what is the outcome you want for me? What, what are the results that you want to get for me? Cause want to manage those expectations. Um, and I want to, I want to know what's expected because everyone's different. So that no matter what, job we have or what profession we have their personalities if you're dealing with people people have personalities so all personalities don't work well together um if i know that this is just not something that i'm going to take on i um i'll just i mean i've said it It doesn't happen very often i mean it, it it would it would be significant for me to say I don't want your listing, but um, in, and and I wouldn't say that it would be, I don't think we're a good fit. I think there's someone who can meet your needs better. I've actually referred Tyler clients before because I really couldn't meet their needs, not because they were difficult. It was because they were specific in their needs and and it's his specialty. So um, I would offer them a solution by sending them um, a referral or sending them down another pathway. Yeah.
0: So it's more or less you're saying, like, I I don't know that I can meet these expectations, so let me call Tyler.
3: Yeah. (laughs) yeah. It's really more of a, Anna's correct. I mean, and I've known Anna for many years. We, as agents, we want to take on listings. We want to help people, but we want to be open and honest with them. And we're not going to want to work with you if you're trying to sweep things under the rug if you're being unethical, if you're really trying to embellish the condition or maybe even the history of a house, so uh, I can speak, Anna and I both don't have time for that. We just want to treat people the correct way, including the other agents, um, even if that's the buyer that we don't represent. So we try and treat people like we'd want to be treated. And if they're not willing to do that, I'll give you a great example. I've had uh, sellers say, "Well," I'd, I'd call them and say, hey, we got an offer on your house. And they'd say, well, can you can you tell the the uh, buyer's agent that we have multiple offers? Can we do that to try and drive the price up? I, I Just, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to treat it the right way. We're going to work it. And that's how it's going to be. And that's what we would expect if this was reversed. Yeah,
0: for sure. Well, I feel like you guys are in... Big offices that have a a bunch of agents in them. And I feel like you've probably seen it time and again when there's a new agent that maybe they've landed a listing and they're fired up about it. It's an early listing for them. And uh, they, they begin to describe this listing more that's coming their, their relationship with the seller more. Right. And you're starting to realize, no, 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 I've seen this before and you don't, you want to get out of this if you can. Tyler, I know every circumstance is different, right? But how how do you advise a newer agent to handle the situation? They may have gotten themselves in that they're over their head and it's going to be miserable for them to work this deal.
3: So you should always know your strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, we all have things, you know, areas that we're more familiar with than others. Uh, You should not be scared to ask for advice. And I'm saying that to other agents out there. One of the things we do, uh, as we mentioned, we uh, are open to like a broker open. We want feedback from other agents. I respect um, experienced agents like Anna when they tell me, hey, you may want to consider doing this. Uh, We listen and it helps us. It helps the client. So that's the first thing I would say is you it's okay to ask for help and um, it'll help sell the house. Sure.
0: And are there any uh, best practices that an agent can follow when they're working a deal that's, um, so I know we've seen a lot of as is listings of late, right? Uh, it's something where it's like, look, this this is what it is. The market's hot, you know, um, are, are there common mistakes that you see people make maybe best practices that you should follow if you're either on the list side or the buy side, even,
2: um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of as is um, it it was, I felt like the sellers got the raw deal before the market changed to a heavy sellers market and making a lot of, um, I don't know the word, I don't know the right adjective, but just ridiculous repairs, a long list of repairs for a loose doorknob. Um, So I like as is. However, if you're a, I think if you're a good agent or part of my process is to make sure that even if it's an as is sell, and we know that going into it, that my sellers um, prepare for that. So they replace the rotten wood, they fix the broken windows, they get the peeling paint fixed before we go on the market as an as is. Because ultimately, if I'm representing the seller, it's going to cost the seller money. They're going to get less money, which is my goal to sell it for the most money for them um, in the least amount of time. So um, as is would come for me after preparation, getting ready for that listing to go active. As a buyer, if you're purchasing as is, which most buyers are right now, and I represent both, I do listing. I'm about 50-50 now and uh, list side and buy side. So um, as a buyer, it's just important to make sure that you have a reputable home inspector um, and that you're part of that process. Like I think it's important for the buyer to be present at the home inspection so they can see feel, touch, smell, they can experience the home inspection, um, and talk to the home inspector during that time. So, um, and I, and I haven't had, um, I haven't had any bad experiences with as is purchases. Um, I've actually purchased a house in this market as is, and I've had to do a lot of repairs on my house, but I (laughs) knew that going into it. So,
3: um, that's my thought on that. So, I want to give a specific story about an as-is sale. Okay, Uh, there's been a lot of feedback or pushback lately about sellers. They shouldn't sell to investors or out-of-state investors or hedge funds. So, Mietha, my wife and I listed a really nice house in the suburbs, and the very first it was I think over five hundred thousand. In the very first day, we get an offer from an owner-occupant buyer, and the agent says. Uh, it'll be as is. We won't ask for repairs. We we love the house, and my sellers say, "Okay, let's we can take this, but should we wait it out? What if something else comes along?" And we said, "No, I, I think this is a pretty serious buyer." So, uh, the house was built in the early '90s. It's not brand new, but it's not terribly old. It's in a you know very popular area. So, buyer does an inspection and then immediately asks for a $30,000 discount Mm. on a house that's a well-maintained house. And my sellers kind of froze because the house had been on the market for 24 hours. So you don't know, you know, are we, you know, what is the real interest level on this house hadn't been on the market for 30 days, 60 days, et cetera. So we uh, terminated that deal, relisted it, Unfortunately, we actually did sell it to a hedge fund who did not ask for repairs, paid cash, closed, and it was a much higher net. So the point of my story is I truly believe as agents, especially you need to prep your buyers and explain to them, because I know it's such a frenzy right now, and they just want to get the house. But we need to really be aware and cognizant that, hey, these houses probably do need to be maintained This wasn't even an as-is sale. This was the buyer offering to purchase it as is and then asking for a $30,000 reduction when there was just no reason for that.
0: Yeah, that's a a tough spot, too. It seems like like you guys have said uh, time and again, and I've heard it on the show, managing those expectations not only with your sellers but your buyers to be able to say, look, we can do this, but let me tell you what this means. And these are the adjustments and tweaks because if we're going to complain about some of the issues we have in our industry, we have to own our part. And uh, those are some things that I think uh, definitely can be uh, helpful towards working towards whatever those goals are that we have. Um, Tyler, is there any um, wiggle room that, that uh, you may see? If You're talking about a, a listing agent, right? And the sellers see that there are repairs that may need to uh, be made so that they can fetch the price they want. Uh, how do you get the seller to see that, look, I know you said as is, but like, we've got to go ahead and make X, Y, and Z repairs. Because if we want to get this price, this is what we've got to do.
3: So clearly, if it's a lender-required repair or if it's something broken, I mean, that needs to be fixed. And we we can explain that. One of the things that we offer or suggest sometimes is, let's say it's just some cosmetic repairs, and a seller may say, well, I don't want to paint it. I don't want to paint it white or gray, and then the next buyer doesn't like that. Or I don't want to put in a specific uh, selection of carpet or laminate floors, and then they don't like it and they rip it out. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll offer to escrow that at closing. So we will cut a check to a professional painting company or a flooring company. So that way um, the buyer feels like they're still getting to choose and getting their pick. And the seller's not out of pocket day one. They can wait till actually at closing.
0: And a question for you about that, because you're working with a lot with the buyers as well. When you have a buyer that you're taking through a house that has that situation Tyler just described there, Do you think most buyers have the vision to see past that hideous carpet or the pink paint or whatever the heck it is that's there to where we know, look, we've got this money in escrow. You'll be able to do it. But sometimes I just don't have the vision to unsee what's happening here.
2: Um, It's it's. 50-50. 50-50. Some buyers do and some buyers don't. I personally don't. I cannot see through that. Like yeah. m- when I bought my house, I just had to see the house. This is the house I want. I would not have been able to see through purple carpet and blue walls yeah. um, in the same room. Um, but some people have great visions and can knock down walls in their mind and move doors and move windows. And, and it's they're not scared of that. They're not afraid to... Contract the work, so it really just depends on who your buyers are, and I have both. I'm always in awe of the the ones who go in with visions, and then I go back to their house, and it looks like a totally different space. Um, so I find that that they're both. Uh, you know, a lot of um, we read about a lot of. Uh, Younger home buyers now want homes that are move-in ready, that have already been updated, that already have the new paint, that already have the new flooring. Um, And that's really true. I find that to be true a lot of times. But just as much, I find it where people are not afraid to do that. What about you, Tyler? Don't you think you get both?
3: I think right now it's also hard to get contractors to physically make the repairs or go out there and give an estimate. We've all heard about... um, I've had two or three contractors, and then they don't follow up and give a bid. So it is really difficult right now, and it's hard because you need you can't really wait till it goes under contract to do that because time kills deals, and there's inspection periods, et cetera. So uh, Anna's right; you have to really address this upfront, like at the listing uh, consultation. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, oftentimes a a difficult seller, there's some sort of motivator. Usually it's caused things to be a little more challenging, right? Uh, Sometimes it's a money issue and we've got to get every penny out of this house. Uh, Other times it may just be they don't have the desire to sell or desire to put in any additional work that's going to inconvenience them. When you're going through your listing presentation, trying to see, does this make sense? How do you identify, look, this is the pain point they have. This is the reason why they're being difficult. And this is how we can potentially navigate that.
2: I just find it's e- best um, in my experience to ask the, you know, ask the questions, ask the direct questions. Are If you were to list your house, what is your timeline? When do you want to list your house? Because it's fine if it's six months or a year from now. I work with people for six months to a year um, to to get ready, you know, waiting on follow-up. And I devise a plan um, for how much follow-up and what needs to be done, a timeline. I mean, I've got a listing Currently, that I'm listing that I've been working with them for a year. So, a year ago, we're thinking about selling, but not right now. The time is not right. I just went to a listing appointment last week. She wants to sell. We're going to list in March, um, but there are things to do between now and March. Um, so, just like you said, when you hit, you know, key word is what is your motivator? So, um, obviously if it's a death and someone has to downsize, that's going to be pretty quick. If it's someone who just is thinking about moving to the country, but have mm-hmm. to find their dream house, which is a, Needle in a pink house sometimes. on a lake with two swans, then it might take me a minute to yeah. help you find that. But um, just asking the direct questions, making sure you're on the same page again, asking what's expected of me. How can I best help you? Um those questions I find are helpful to to make sure you're both on the same page and not wasting time because there may be one person who's not quite ready to sell, but there are three more who are ready to sell. And Mm -hmm. so I want to make sure that I'm putting my time and effort and energy in the right place at the right time.
3: I think one thing I would, I've noticed as well uh, because we have gone to several listing appointments, we haven't had difficult sellers The difficulty is them finding something that they will move into next. Mm -hmm. So a move up buyer. So they love the value we give them. We say, hey, your house is now worth, you know, X, Y, Z more than what you paid for it. And but we'll say to them, where are you trying to move? And if they don't, because of the lack of inventory, if they don't like what's on the market um, or they're afraid that they'll sell their house and sell it at a really fair price to them, or an acceptable price, but they won't find anywhere to go. So we've actually seen several recently where people have opted, unfortunately, to stay where they're at as opposed to moving because they're just not agreeable to what's on the market.
0: Yeah, that's a tough spot for sure. We know there are a ton of great co-op agents in the city, and we're all just doing our best here, but if you're the listing agent with a, a difficult seller, difficult listing, whatever it may be, how do you communicate that with the buyer's agent while still representing your client well? I mean, you've obviously got a responsibility to make sure you're taking care of your client, but also you're working a deal with somebody that you're obviously trying to do the right thing and not mislead anybody. I, I open this up to either you guys. I mean, how do you work as a good co-op agent while still serving your client well? Or your client well.
3: I I th- I think I'm a open book. It's it's actually not that difficult to me um like we said before, I've seen sellers that have had like a physical handicap or they've had just a life issue. And many times buyers and agents are understandable about that. You know, we're not going to hide anything. We're going to just be open and honest with them. Um, If it's been a death or if they're just relocating to another city, we just tell people. And that's how we want to be treated as well. Like, I don't want a buyer to write an offer that's not contingent on them selling a house. They really are selling a house. So, you just need to be straight up on everything, and it, it's it's like any negotiation. You address it up front. Uh, we both talk about it, and it'll work itself out.
0: Awesome. Anna, any uh, any thoughts on that?
2: Um, you know, ultimately, we are um, we have the best interest of our clients first. Um, so, if that's a seller, their best interest is my primary interest. Um, but you know, we have. Documents that have to be signed, everybody is clear, is very clear on what the agent's role is as it relates to each person in the transaction. So our Tennessee Association of Realtors forms spell that out and, and make it very clear. So that's the literal answer. Um, and, you know, and we're bound by a code of ethics. And so um, I wouldn't sacrifice my reputation or um, do anything to negate the things I've done as a realtor to do something, I don't know, less than stellar or dishonest, but, um, always representing, I don't know how I would convey to the other agent that I have a difficult seller, but you may be able to pick up on again, the vibe, (laughs) you know, you may be able to hear it, but I try to just keep it factual. If there's, if there is, um, something that has to be disclosed, I'm going to disclose it. Um, if there's a defect, um, Otherwise, I leave the decision decision making in the hands of the decision maker, and that's ultimately my client. So I don't have a problem with relaying what their decisions are.
0: Well, and just like you said, the vibe, right? You're putting off vibe as well. And if you've got somebody that is just so driven by a certain number, and you've got a you know buyer's agent that's calling, um, there there is a certain vibe that they can obviously pick up on. That's like all right, this we're not going to waste our time with this one. Let's not even write this one up. And that that can obviously help just because you're not doing anything dishonest at that point, but still that, that vibe helps the
3: process go smoother for everybody. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the seller is just not that motivated. What we mentioned earlier, uh, they want to sell their house. Maybe they just haven't found that the, the perfect house for them. So sometimes they're just kind of dead set on a number or what, you know, that list price number. And I don't think that's wrong to explain that to the other agent and just say, Hey, they're not Mm -hmm. wanting to make repairs they really do want this price. And if they don't get it, they're probably content with just staying where they're at. And that's, I think, I think most buyers and buyers agents are understanding of that. I mean, at the end of the day, you have a seller that wants to sell their house. You have a buyer that wants to buy it. And uh, I think once both parties understand where the other's coming from, it goes a long way.
0: Sure. Right. Sometimes you face challenges that are, I guess, more common knowledge, but not unsolvable, right? In my head, I think about homes that are, you get these random pockets of flood zones in Germantown or maybe they, temporarily they've got a bunch of construction around them and it's just obnoxious and you have to be able to see past it. This isn't always going to be here. Um, are, are there things that you do in those circumstances for your either your sellers or for the co-oping agents where you say like, look, this is how we can navigate this best because this is going to be a challenge?
3: So uh, I actually lived in a house growing up that was in a floodplain and it had aluminum wiring Okay. and my parents are both real estate agents. Yeah. So you would think that they would avoid those things, but they didn't. I'll give, I'll talk about uh, flood floodplains first. One of the things we do is we call Dane Williams and we say, Hey, what is, uh, what does it cost for flood insurance on this? What is it per month? Maybe we can offer an incentive to the buyer. Maybe we can help with closing costs and that can go towards the flood insurance. I have flood insurance on in my own personal house, even though I'm not in a floodplain, uh, as far as aluminum wiring, because there are many houses that have that, uh, we can sometimes get a quote from an electrician and say, hey, what would it cost to rewire this whole house or pigtail it or whatever it is? So we address it up front, and we share that with the buyer's agent because we know that they're going to probably bring it up as well. Sure. So why don't we just be proactive and have that, and that way we can share it.
0: It's, it's not like you're going to get to the you know end and they're going to be like, oh, man you didn't tell me about this. Okay. We'll still buy the house. Like, no, it's going to come up. You're going to have to address it anyway. So going ahead and having that conversation on the front, it's going to save everybody time. If it's a deal breaker for them, then like it just may be a deal. It's better to have a deal breaker on day one than day 30 as you're in escrow and trying to figure it all out. Right. So, Mm-hmm. Uh, as we're wrapping up here, guys, I mean, do we have uh, any interesting stories when we start thinking about challenging listings, challenging sellers, whatever the situation may be over the years? Anything? I always love story time when I get to get to hear. Listen to this crazy thing that happened. So uh, I'll open the floor, and uh, you guys uh, and I should share uh, any any interesting challenging situations that you've had with listings over the years.
2: I mean, I've had a lot of them. So I, I've. I've I gave you some examples in our preliminary conversation, but I've sold a mobile home um, that didn't have a well. So I've sold a, a construction that had been built for about 10 or 12 years, just unfinished construction. When I listed it, everyone in my office was like, what are you doing? There have been like five people have tried to sell that. You're never going to sell that. It, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Sold that. So I, my – Thought is, and I always tell this to my broker: if you know, I might as well sell it because somebody's going to sell it. Everything will sell. Um, I sold a commercial building on um, in South Memphis that had this huge rat on top of it. Oh, you no. may remember it had a big piece of cheese. It used to be a, a pest. Yeah. Um, what am I trying to say? A pest like, control place. A yeah. pest control place, yeah. So. Sold that. But I'll tell you one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest things, and we haven't even talked about this is mold. If you walk in a house and you can smell mold, it is going to be a problem until the mold is gone. Mm -hmm. You're not going to, you're either not going to sell the house or you're going to do a home inspection and the mold is going to come up. If I can smell it, it's, everybody can smell it.
0: Well, it's the unknown with that. I can see the big rat on top of the roof. I don't know where the mold is and where it's not, and if
2: it's going to kill my kids. So that's always a challenge that if, if you walk in a house, if you're a listing agent, you walk in and it smells mildewy, that's probably mold and it needs to be addressed. Um, I, th- my, the, the listing that kept me up the most nights and caused me the most stress and tears and just it was awful. It was a Was a listing that had mold, and we remediated it during the um, repair period. And then when they did the final walkthrough, they weren't pleased with mm. with the mold remediation. And so my clients were buying another house with a very an agent that I have very have so much respect for. Um, and it was just a domino effect and they all fell apart. And I mean, I lost years of my life on that one. (laughs) And so I will never do that again. So I, I have to say, we haven't talked about it, but mold remediation, if you, again, it's super important. That's a, that's a big one. That, that was a big challenge for me. So,
3: so we've talked about, you know, addressing things up front and being honest with the other party, uh, i've sold a house uh involving a high profile murder where the seller was in jail they were they were selling their house uh the proceeds were going to go to the victim's family in civil court so any proceeds he got it it didn't he literally didn't care yeah i mean on top of that he's in jail uh that's something you really can't hide anyway so you tell people up front this is what's going on uh And obviously, that was a horrific situation as well. Uh, On a lighter note, one time, my wife and I sold a house in Bahalia. And if somebody messages me, um, I'll share the address. It was literally a tree house. There were two massive trees that basically were in the den and went all the way up. This is a two-story house. So on the second story, you the house was basically... Wrapped around two trees.
0: The trees in the like in the middle. In like the middle, the like... trees
3: are in the middle of the house. So, I mean, you have insects, you have sap, you have all sorts of those things. How
0: does water not get in the and house? They
3: got an FHA mortgage on this. I mean, just imagine the, um, imagine just the engineer that built a house around two live trees. That's wild. And yeah, I mean that that's one of those things you you couldn't you couldn't sugarcoat it if you wanted to. So you might as well just be honest with people and say, this is what this is. Yeah. And uh, we would get a structural engineer to look at it and everything else. And they said, yeah, it's it's fine.
0: How about that? That's cool. But guys, I I appreciate the knowledge, the stories, the uh, fact that you guys have just seen so many deals and, uh, and, and navigated challenging ones and easy ones. And I just, I, I have so much respect for you guys in this industry. So I, I am grateful for you guys coming and, sharing some of your stories and uh, and being on the show. Thank you so much.
3: Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dane.
0: Guys, uh, that does it for this episode of Key Exchanges in the 901. If you haven't already, please make sure that you've subscribed to the show on on whatever podcast app you listen on. If it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, we're on all of them. So uh, if you love the show when you get there, it would mean a ton to us if you would leave us a review as well because it helps out a ton. As always, we'll have all of our guests, all of our sponsors, contact information in the show notes in case you'd like to reach them. And if you need to get in touch with me about the show or anything home insurance related for you or your clients, you can always email me at dwilliams at shoemakerins.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We're excited to be back for the second season. I really do appreciate the time and and commitment that you guys have shown to the show. I, I cannot wait to catch up with you on the next episode of Key Exchanges in the 901.